Hey, welcome to Rockbridge. My name is Matt. I'm one of the pastors on our team. I'm glad that you're here at one of our six physical locations. And also there's a whole bunch of you that watch digitally and online. This weekend at all of our campuses and also online, we are going to observe the Lord's Supper. So if you're at one of the six physical campuses, you should have gotten something like this or that should be near you. So I just want to call your attention to that. We'll do that later on. At the, in our service, and if you're at home or watching on your device and you want to participate, you can just find something equivalent to uh, the, the, the juice or the cup of the vine or, and something like a bread or a cracker. That will work as we symbolize Jesus' death and obey his command to remember that through the Lord's Supper a little bit later on in our service. So we are in a, a summer series, and this summer series is called Landmines. Landmines, which are obstacles in our journey, obstacles in our faith walk. And the thing about landmines, and, and Pablo and Zach have done a great job setting this series up and moving us forward forward and just so grateful for their communication and, and sharing of God's Word. But landmines can be hidden and subtle because we don't know that they're there. It's not a frontal assault, uh, but they can blow us off the path of life, the path of promise, the path of purpose. They can remove us, separate us from God's best, separate us from God's people, separate us in relationships. And I was thinking about this, though. When we think about landmines, you know, life can seem like a minefield, that we've got things to avoid. And honestly, we're all going to step on a landmine, and, and we're going to uh, be affected by it. But the beautiful thing that I, I want us to embrace with expectancy this weekend is that in Christ, defeat is never our destiny. Defeat is never our destiny. And so you may be in here and feel defeated, but that is not your reality in Christ. You may be here and wonder, man, how do I make it through the maze? And how, or how do I recover? God is a rebuilder. God is a restorer. God is a healer. And so let's embrace his best for us. Yes, life is a minefield. The world is broken. The world is fallen. We're all one decision away from stupid, right? But God is with us and God is for us. I want to pray over us and then we'll get going with part three of our series called Landmines. Lord Jesus, I thank you that there is not a single person in the sound of my voice that has to embrace defeat, depression, discouragement as their destiny. I pray that in Christ, victory is promised, victory is provided, victory has been achieved, not by us, but by you, King Jesus, in your defeat of death and your resurrection victory that you offer to all who put their faith and trust in you. So God, I just want to pray for everybody here, for the landmines in our past, the minefield that we have to walk through. Some of us are hurt. Some of us feel like we've been sidelined. But may we embrace you, Jesus, as a healer, as a restorer, as a deliverer. Jesus, I pray you open our minds and our hearts so we receive your word. We confess we need help, God, because some of us are stubborn or ignorant. Some of us are prideful. Some of us are here for religious reasons, not to have a relationship with you. We pray against all those things. And Holy Spirit, just invite you right now. Have your way in us and through us because you are with us and for us. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. amen. All right, so let's review. Last week and the week before, Pablo and Zach talked about the landmines of pride and the landmines of laziness that lie in our past. This week, 
We're going to talk about a landmine that every single one of us has been dealing with and will continue to deal with for a whole long time, and that is the landmine of anger, right? I mean, we have all been getting angry for as long as we've been pretty much alive, right? For one reason or another, we've all been getting angry since we were about this age, right? Now, I know what some of you are thinking, and you're thinking, okay, this is going to be a sermon. Don't get angry. Get, get over it or get past it. And, and that, that's, not the, that's not the purpose of the sermon because the fact of the matter is anger is a part of life. God gets angry. Jesus got angry. And we ultimately, in our, at our best self, made in Christ's self, we reflect and represent the image of God so anger is a part of life. Anger is a part of life in a broken world. Anger is a part of life in a fallen world. Anger is a part of life where God's will is not done on earth as it is in heaven. So anger is a part of life. And, and, and every day you will be given a reason to get, get angry. Every day you will probably wrestle with that in some form of fashion. Sometimes it comes out of you in, in maybe hurtful ways or disrespectful ways. Some, sometimes it comes out of you in good ways. And, and so the, the, we can also say anger can be purposeful. Like people have gotten angry about poverty and it's made them really do righteous, great, God-honoring things. People get angry about racism and bigotry, and it's motivated them to act in the name of Jesus for the cause of, of justice and, and dignity of the human race. We get angry about abortion and the, and the lack of value of human life. We get angry at certain things, and it can motivate us to do incredible things in the name of Jesus. I mean, Rockbridge, in a sense, we started this church because we were sort of angry, we were angry that a lot of people had given up on church, had given up on Jesus, and we wanted to do something about that. Our, our, our whole local missions thing, which we call hope, came out of anger of, of the escalation of poverty in our area and how it was impacting kids uh, at the wake, in the wake of the Great Recession about 10 years ago, if you remember that. So anger can be purposeful, but, and I think all of us could amen this as well, anger can also be a problem. Anger can also be a problem. So as we deal with this landmine or potential landmine of anger, okay, the question is this, how does anger, which we all have, which we all experience, not become, not become a landmine, because life will give you a reason to be angry. Do not, do not elbow anybody. Your husband or wife will give you a reason to be angry. Your children, your coworkers, your job, our politicians will give you a reason to be angry. I get angry at myself because I give myself a lot of reasons to be angry. How does that not then, <coughs> excuse me, how does that not then become a landmine? If you have your Bibles, and I really hope you do, turn them on, open them up, and this is going to be like a hard book to find. I'll confess, I'm the pastor. I used my table of contents to find this book before I came out here today. The book of Jonah. The book of Jonah, uh, and, and many of us are familiar with this story, and most of us sometimes think, hey, Jonah's about a guy who got swallowed by a big fish, Right? 
Well, chapter 4 is where we're going to land today and be today, and chapter 4 deals with this landmine. So let me give you a, a, a quick sun- summary. Okay, Jonah ran from God's call. God said, I want you to go preach a message to the Ninevites. These were non-Jewish people, non-Israelites. They were pagans. They were the enemies of the Jews. And God said, I want you to go preach a message, call them to repentance. Jonah ran from that call. He got on a ship. The ship had a big storm. And then eventually they realized, man, if this storm is going to subside, we got to get Jonah off the boat. Jonah is drowning, and God sends a fish to swallow him, and the fish is not punishment. The fish is mercy and grace to keep Jonah from drowning and to wake Jonah up to walk in obedience to God. And so Jonah goes to to the town or the city, the giant city of Nineveh, probably about the size of Chattanooga, and he preaches this message, and people respond, people repent, people get saved, revival breaks out, whatever language we want to use. And then in chapter 4, We deal with Jonah's anger, and anger is used six times in this chapter. And I I tell you this all the time, as you're reading the Bible, especially in the Old Testament, when something gets repeated, that is the biblical author through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit telling us this is the main point of this section of Scripture. So chapter 4, 10, 11, 12 verses, six times anger is mentioned. That's Q and U and I N. Hey, God is trying to speak to us something about anger. If you got your Bibles, Jonah chapter 4, verse 1. Jonah was greatly displeased and became furious. We use it, we use at Rockbridge the CSB for public teaching, Christian Standard Bible. And so it does a really good job of translating the Hebrew, but this is extreme, ferocious. He is really, really, really mad. He's really mad. Now, the, now, from the outside looking in, from the outside looking in, we're like, why is he so angry? I mean, he just preached a Billy Graham sermon and a bunch of people flooded the altar, so to speak, right? I mean, his message was successful and he's really, really angry. And so the, the, the real question is this, not will you and I get angry? It's why are we angry? What's driving our anger? What's causing our anger? Because here's the reality about anger, okay? We've already said it's a part of life. It's a part of the human experience since the time we were little kids, right? Anger is a diagnostic tool simply telling us something is wrong. Now, it's like the check engine light on your car. It comes on. You don't know what's wrong, but something is wrong. Now, there's kind of two choices, and and sometimes it's a blend of these. Is something wrong outside of us, meaning What's happened, what they did, what she said, what he posted on social media. Is something wrong outside of us or is something wrong inside of us? Anger doesn't tell us that. It's the check engine light. We don't know what's wrong. Is it the oil? Is it transmission? Is it this? Is it that? Is it a fan? Is it the radiator? Check engine. We don't know. So anger is a diagnostic tool, but it doesn't, but something is wrong. Is it outside or inside of us? Now, let me just tell you this, though. The default reaction or the default in our current age is everybody has a right to be angry, and if you're angry, you're justified in it, and you can rage about it. So the default is the problems, what's wrong is outside of us. That's the default. The default is never, well, maybe 
It's inside of me. Maybe there's a misunderstanding. Maybe my heart is underdeveloped. Maybe I'm not as mature as a Christ follower as I could be. Maybe I learned from my family of origin that anger is the real only way you can get your way. But anger, when we feel it, experience it, doesn't tell us any of that. And it's so easy to default to them, those, those people. If she hadn't, I wouldn't. If you didn't, I wouldn't be angry. Okay? Most of our politicians appeal to you being angry at someone or at something else. I think that's terrible leadership. We'll talk about that later. So the potential landmine is undiagnosed and what I will call, I've sort of made up a word, enthroned anger. We don't diagnose the reason for our anger and we put it in charge of us. And so whatever we do in the name of or in response to our anger is justified. It's like, you know, the proverbial, you hit, your you hit your thumb with the hammer and you say a bad word. And you're like, well, I hit my thumb with a hammer. It was justified. Well, she said this, so it, that's why I lashed out, right? And, and, and so it's enthroned, meaning it's okay to be controlled by, react in anger, no matter what that anger or no matter what that manifestation of anger looks like. So undiagnosed and enthroned anger is the potential landmine. So Jonah's upset. What does Jonah do? Well, he prayed to the Lord. And that is really, really good. I would submit to you this. Before you act in your anger, you better talk to God about your anger. Before you act on your anger, you, before you post, before you reply to that text, before you send that email, before you give someone a piece of your mind, better talk to God about it. So Jonah gets props about it, and that's kind of that, where the good part of Jonah ends, okay? So he prays to God, and listen to his prayer. Please, please Lord, <laughs> isn't this what I said while I was still in my own country? Remember, he ran from God. He got on a ship and was running from God. Isn't this what I said, God, would happen? I told you so, God. And listen to what he says. That's why I fled toward Tarshish in the first place. I knew, this is, this is so crazy, I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God. You're slow to anger. Jonah's quick to anger. God's slow to anger. You're slow to anger, abounding in faithful love, and one who relents from sending disaster. So now, Lord, take my life from me, for it is better for me to die rather than to live. Now, here's the crazy thing. <coughs> about Jonah's anger. He's angry at the success of his preaching. Hey, God, a bunch of people got saved when I preached that message, and I'm mad about it. It's crazy, right? He is mad about preaching a successful, so to speak, a fruitful message. He's upset at God's mercy and grace to the Ninevites. Now, he wasn't upset when God showed grace and mercy to him in Jonah chapter 2 and, and provided a fish to swallow him so he didn't drown. But he's upset that God extends mercy and grace to the Ninevites. And so that reveals something about Jonah. He's a self-righteous racist. You know, the Bible is very against racism. He's a self-righteous racist because he believes only the Jews 
deserve the grace and mercy of God, not the nasty Ninevites. So all of that comes out, and he's like, God, I'd rather, I'd rather die than live. And so it really shows us in Jonah's response, there's two types or two categories of anger that we can possess, two types of anger. The first is what I will call God-centered anger. God-centered anger is I am angry at things that God's angry at. I am angry that the name of Jesus is not honored. I am angry at things that bother God. Uh, And and I I act in my anger, though, with with anger that is tempered by, motivated by love and grace and compassion. So my anger is not the end-all, be-all. It is wrapped in love and grace and compassion. It is wrapped in patience. It is wrapped in loving kindness, which is how God gets angry. Then there's me-centered anger. That's the landmine. Notice if we go back, how many first-person pronouns, what I said, right? Me, 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 right? Notice how how me-centered Jonah's prayer is. It's me-centered anger. Me is basically saying to God, God, if I were you, this is what I would have done. And isn't that the first sin of the garden when Adam and Eve and Satan said to them, you'll be like God? Well, I want to be like God. And if I were God, I'd have wiped out the Ninevites. If I were God, I'd have never let that person cross my path. If I were God, this is the way I would do it. And it's your kingdom, not his kingdom. It's your will you want done. You don't care about God's will. And that's me-centered anger. And I would submit to you, I I think what most of us really get angry about is me-centered stuff. Stuff that affects my convenience, my comfort, my cause, my agenda, my perspective, my preference. You know, we started this church 21 years ago to reach lost people. We've had people get saved, and we have Christians who get more upset about their preference not being met than the fact that people got saved. Matt, you don't wear a coat and tie. That bothers me. People got saved. You don't wear a coat and tie. That bothers me. Come on, right? We don't wear a coat and tie because we're for all walks of life, and there's no dress code to come to Jesus. Okay? So we have to just understand how our propensity to enthrone me-centered anger. And we would do well to remember the words of Jesus' half-brother James when he said, My dear brothers and sisters, understand this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger because God is also slow to anger. Because human anger, me-centered anger is what he means, does not accomplish God's righteousness. Does not accomplish God's righteousness. So Jonah, though, we give him props because he was vulnerable and transparent before the Lord, which is great. Process your anger before God before you display anger before other people, right? So he does that, and then God's going to work on Jonah. And God responds in chapter 4, verse 4, with a question. Now, in Scripture, anytime God asks a question... It's not because he doesn't know the answer. He's God. He's asking the question to get us to diagnose something in our hearts. Remember Adam and Eve, where are you? He knew where they were. What have you done? He knew Cain and Abel, where is your brother? He knew where his brother was, right? Saul on the road to Damascus. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Jesus, uh, you know, uh, asked questions all the time. So God's asking the question to reveal. So he says, Jonah... Is it right for you to be angry? That is not a question that is being asked in the 21st century. 
That is not a question that's being asked on social media. That is not a question that our politicians are appealing to us with. That is not a question, but that is a question our Lord God is asking us this weekend at Rockbridge Community Church. Is it right for you to be angry? Because what God is saying to us is before you enthrone your anger, you need to question your anger to see what is really in your heart. Before you enthrone it, before you act on it, you pray to God about it, and then you question, why am I really upset? Why is this really bothering me? So that question just sort of hangs out there. And in verse 5, Jonah pulls away from the city, and look what it says. He left the city, found a place east of it. He makes himself a shelter there and sat in its shade to see what would happen to the city. So he makes himself comfortable. And he's going to watch what happens to the city. It's almost like he sort of hopes God's going to rain down hellfire on this city like Sodom and Gomorrah and punish this city that Jonah's so mad about. And he's mad about it because uh, he's a racist and he's a self-righteous racist. And and, and so that's where it is. But it shows us something about me-centered anger. There's three errors of me-centered anger. And you see it in Jonah. First one is he quit serving God. He quit serving other people. He he quit, he pulled away. Second is he separated himself from people, from other people. Anger is a separator, me-centered anger in particular, right? And then he becomes a bitter spectator. He's not acting in the will of God. He's not doing anything positive. He's He's a bitter complainer and a spectator. Now, let's just stop for a second. I want want us to admit something. Isn't it easy from the outside looking in to see the foolishness of Jonah's anger? I mean, we're like, why are you so mad? And, And we see the quit. We see the separation. We see he's just a bitter spectator to the mission of God, the story of God, the purpose of God, the glory of God. And we all see it, but it's hard, is it not, to see it when it's in us. Because we feel what about our anger? Justified. Right? And that's the landmine part of it. So God is going to keep working on Jonah. Which encourages me because it reminds me. And some of us need to hear this this weekend. God never gives up on us. God never Even in, in this posture, he has stepped on the landmine. He's been blown off the path. He doesn't even know it, but he has. We see it. He doesn't. God keeps working on him. Here's what it says, verse 6. Then the Lord appointed a plant, and it grew over Jonah to provide shade for his head to rescue him from his trouble. It's hot. It's deserty. So he he gives Jonah this, this supernatural shade tree. So Jonah was greatly pleased with the plant. Now that contrast, so you take what we see here in verse 6, 7, and 8. Go back to verse 1. He's really upset that God saved the city of Nineveh. He's really pleased with the plant. And you see the disproportionality of what he's happy about and what he's upset about. When dawn came the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant and it withered. The Lord gives and the Lord take us away, right? As the sun was rising, God appointed a scorching each wind. Now, who's the actor here? God. Because God is teaching. God is trying to instruct. He's trying to get him to diagnose what's going on in his heart. 
the sun beat down on Jonah's head so much that he almost fainted. We got like a heat casualty going on. He wanted to die. He said, it's better for me to die than live. Second time he said that. That's what anger can do. We're not, we can get angry, but we can't stay angry. And then God comes back with a question. And, and what I said before, God asks questions, and it's not because he doesn't know the answer. He's trying to get us to see what's really happening. So then God asked Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? <laughs> this time Jonah has the, the gall to answer. He says, yes, it's right. I'm angry enough to die. Now we can see how foolish, how crazy this is. But here's what we have to understand. The emotion of anger can be blinding. The emotion of anger can blind us. And we have these blind spots because we think we're what? Right. We think we're what? Justified. I, I, I tell you, this, I, I'm in some environments, and I thank God for them, where I'm around people who are not like Christ followers. <coughs> so I'll have this prayer. And, I, and the prayer is that I can, you know, be Christ in these places and around these people. And I got to be honest with you, I botched it not too long ago. And, I, and I, I've shared this with you. You know, my, if you read my personality profile and, and how my flesh and my sin shows up, one of the things is not so much anger, but it's a cousin of anger. It's like frustration. So I was having this conversation around these kind of non-Christian people. And I responded to a problem with frustration and kind of a little bit mixed with anger. And one of these people said to me, Matt, you're like a Debbie Downer. And I'm like, and I'm preparing a message about anger. And it's blinding because in the moment it feels good to vent. It feels good to be frustrated, to be angry. And you feel right about it. And here I am misrepresenting Jesus. Because anger can be blinding. And the warning sign in Jonah, in this little object lesson that God does with the worm and the plant, is this disproportionate emotion. He's excited about a plant, and he's angry that a city the size of Chattanooga has spiritual revival and spiritual awakening. And, and it's the same thing. You know, people can get so upset about things in their families, things in their church, things in their job, but it's out of proportion with what God's up to in this world. And so God now has Jonah in this posture, and God's going to like pull back the layers of the curtain, open up and expose his heart to him, and here's what he does. He says this, verse 10. So the Lord said, you cared about the plant which you did not labor over and did not grow. It appeared in a night, and it perished in a night. Now here's what God's saying. I gave you something, Jonah, that you did not work for. It's an undeserved blessing. In theological terms, we call that God's grace. God's common grace, creation, sun, rain, oxygen, and God's saving grace, the blood of his son Jesus. Jesus in my place, Jesus in your place, Jesus instead of me on the cross, Jesus instead of you on the cross so he could liberate us from sin and death and adopt us as his sons and daughters and make us citizens of his kingdom forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Grace. Jonah, chapter 2, which is Jonah's prayer from the belly of the big fish, is grace. So Jonah has received grace, saving grace and common grace through creation. 
And so this begins to show us how we get out of or deal with anger so that it doesn't become a landmine, which is the grace that God has given us, common and saving, common and sanctifying, common grace to everyone, saving grace to those who trust in him as their Lord and Savior for Christ's followers, must never be forgotten nor diminished. Jonah has forgotten how God has been good to him. He's self-righteous. He's a self-righteous racist. He's forgotten all that. And we're reminded of how Paul takes this theme and applies it to how the church and the people of God ought to operate relationally. And he says this in Ephesians 4, verse 31, get rid of bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander. And all of those are related to or products of anger, aren't they? As well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, so instead of enthroning your anger, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. And here's the kicker that ties it all in. And here's the impetus, the motivator, the catalyst to being kind, being tenderhearted, being forgiving. Just as God through Christ has forgiven you, God's grace to you motivates you to give grace to other people and not stay angry, not become bitter, not use harsh words, not slander other people. So here's, here's one of the solutions to the landmine of anger. Remembering God's grace, while it may not relieve all anger, it positions it properly. It right sizes anger. Because God has been so gracious to me, I do not have to stay angry at you or with you. Because God has been so gracious to me, I don't have to live in, be controlled by anger, especially me-centered anger. So grace begins to right-size anger. Grace begins to position anger with the proper perspective, which says, hey, eventually you got to get over your anger sooner rather than later. And the way you get to sooner rather than later is you look at Jesus on the cross and realize it should have been you. But God's anger. You know know who got God's anger at Matt Evans? Jesus did on the cross. You know, God was righteously angry at Matt Evans. He's righteously, if you're not a Christian here this weekend at Rockbridge and you're listening online, if you are not a Christ follower, God is angry at you. And either you will face that anger Or Jesus will take that anger for you. Your choice. Part of salvation is recognizing God had every right to be angry at me. And you. And Nineveh. It's righteous anger. But he placed that anger... On his son Jesus Christ to absorb his wrath, satisfy his justice, demonstrate his love and grace and mercy and compassion to sinners like me. And when I'm in that space and God asks me, Matt, is it, are you you right to be angry? No or not for long. It's the two options. So Jonah, here's this, and then God concludes with this. So you care, Jonah, about this plant 
So may I not care about the great city of Nineveh, which has more than 120,000 people who cannot distinguish between their right and their left. They're morally blind, absent the intervention of God, as well as many animals. And then the book ends with that. But what he's reminding Jonah, the book of Jonah is really not about a guy who got swallowed by a fish. The book of Jonah is about a God who goes after lost people and sinners who don't deserve it. That's what Jonah is really about. And it shows us that our purpose is bigger than me, myself, and I. Our purpose is bigger than our comfort under the shade trees of life. Our, our purpose is bigger than what makes me happy and comfortable. The people who started Rockbridge Community Church 21, 20, 21 years ago, the reason I have such admiration for them is many of them said, you know what, I'm going to give up my preference of what church should be because we have a purpose, which is to reach people far from God. And if there's a different way to do music, if there's a different way we ought to think about dress code, if there's a different way we ought to think about hospitality and liturgy and all those kind of things and that we could be bridge builders to people far from God, I'm willing to sacrifice my preference in an embrace of God's purpose, which is what? To seek and save the lost and make disciples of all the nations. And so here's what happens now. When you understand God's purpose, and this is what this statement is about, a city of 120,000 people who are far from God, disconnected from God, when you elevate your purpose, it alleviates petty anger. It alleviates petty anger, me-centered anger. Man, my purpose is here. Why do I get so angry about a plant and a shade tree and a worm down here? Now, here's the great news, okay? This book ends with that rebuke and reminder from the Lord to Jonah. And it teaches, teaches us that anger does not have the final word. Anger does not have the final word. And here, here's what's remarkable about the book of Jonah. Do you know who wrote the book of Jonah? Jonah did. And he doesn't make himself out to look like the hero. He's the anti-hero. He's kind of the villain of the book. Which tells me that Jonah is the, it wrote this book with himself as the anti-hero. But Jonah got to a place of humility. Because you know what humility does? It kills me-centered anger. It kills you, me-centered anger. It kills self-righteousness. Humility kills the desire to be right. Because remember what I've always said to us, and I preach this to myself just like I do to you. We are to be Christ-like more than we are to be right. And anger makes us feel right. God would have been right not to put Jesus on the cross and to give us what we deserve, Right? But he didn't. He put Jesus on the cross. He died instead of us. And so humility kills me, centered anger. Jonah wrote a book about himself that didn't make himself look good. As if he's saying subtly to us, learn from me. Learn from my mistakes. Now, here's the flip of this, though. I think we do need to encourage some types of anger. Kingdom-sized, kingdom-seeking anger. Angry at things God gets angry about. When we see the will of God not being done on earth as it is in heaven, not being done as it should be in our marriages, in our homes, in our cities, in our communities, in our neighborhoods, that's the kind of anger that glorifies God. That's the kind of anger that moves the people of God to act like the people of God and represent the heart of God. 
So I, I, I want to give you something and I ask you to save a date. We've got Serve the City coming up July 28th through August the 2nd. All six of our locations, there might be some variance, but that's the general days of all of our projects where we're going to go out with our HOPE partners and we're going to serve the city. A lot of these partnerships, a lot of these opportunities, let me tell you where they come from. God-centered anger. God-centered anger. So I'm going to encourage that. And I want to encourage all of you to write these dates down. Pray, pray right now. But I want to encourage you to do more than pray. I want you to participate. I want you to participate in representing Jesus to Hickson, to Cleveland, to Ringgold, Chatsworth, Dalton, Calhoun. Now let's go back. Remember I said earlier that we cannot diminish or forget God's grace. And this verse that Jonah prayed, Jonah knows it. He revealed a lot about the heart and the character of God. God, I know you're gracious and compassionate, slow to anger. Abounding in faithful love and one who relents from sending disaster. So let's prepare to take the Lord's Supper at all of our locations, at all of our campuses. I'm going to ask you not to open uh, the elements yet, not to take the Lord's Supper yet. Please listen for just a moment, okay? I really believe we all need to be reminded. God's anger is righteous. And if we are not in a relationship with Jesus Christ, God's anger and wrath are aimed at us. But Christ stands between the righteous angry anger of a holy God. And he stands between it on a cross represented by the cup of the vine or which represents his blood, the bread, which represents his body. And when you place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, yes, God gives you eternal life. Yes, God gives you forgiveness. Yes, God gives you a new name, son or daughter of the Lord Most High. Yes, God puts his Holy Spirit inside of you. Yes, God has plans for you. Yes, God's promises to you in Christ are yes and amen. But don't forget, God's righteous anger goes from you to Jesus on the cross. So as you take the Lord's Supper, you might just thank God for that. As you think about that, you might think about sin in your life that maybe you're taking too lightly. Because the sin that we tend to take lightly is the sin that still put Jesus on the cross. And that might bring you and me both to a place of deep, sincere repentance. Where God, I'm sorry that my sin put you on the cross. And I want to repent of that sin before I take your supper. As I remember what you did for me. There are some of you that are not Christians. And I just would say, please, do not take the Lord's Supper. Unless right now, you are ready to trust Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You recognize, as we've been talking this, this weekend, that this God is gracious and compassionate. This God is slow to anger. He is abounding in faithful love. And He relents 
and that Jesus stood in the gap between you and the wrath of God. Jesus paid the price. Jesus paid the penalty. Jesus gave the ransom. And you are ready to say yes to this Jesus. Then this is your first communion. And I praise God there's a party in heaven over your act of faith and repentance this weekend. We do ask you to let us know. Let your campus pastor know. Use a next step card. Have a conversation in the lobby. Go in the chat uh, section of, of online and tell someone, hey, I just gave my life to Christ. I just took my first communion. So we remember that on the night Jesus was betrayed, he took bread, and after he'd given thanks, he broke it. He said, take, eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, after supper, he took also the cup, and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. He said, for as often as you drink this, eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let us pray together. When I say amen, you feel free at that time to take communion or if you need to sit in prayer, you just do that. You can worship, you can sit, you can pray. Take communion after amen once you have had that time with God as we pray together. God, I thank you for every person here today. God, we're about to partake of your body and your blood. May we remember your amazing grace. God, may we remember that you're angry at sin and sinners and that if Jesus is not in our place and if Jesus is not our Lord and Savior, then your anger is still aimed at us. And so, Jesus, some of us need to thank you that you absorbed the wrath of the Holy God. Some of us, God, I pray, would come to repentance and faith right now and say, God, I want to embrace Christ as my Savior and thank him for satisfying your anger. Thank him for paying my penalty and give him the steering wheel of my life and the sins of my soul. God, I pray right now if we're angry at anyone, we would make a commitment right now to get past that anger and get to forgiveness and grace, reconciliation and restoration. God, I thank you in the name of Jesus. For the life and death of Jesus. Symbolized by this bread and this cup. In the name above all names we pray. Amen.